When was the last time that you can recall feeling like you just wanted to give up? When was the last time that your circumstances seemed insurmountable? Uh, maybe your problem seemed impossible and you just felt like giving up? Or we'll use a different cliche, uh, throwing in the towel, waving the white flag. You know all the expressions we use for it, right? But when was the last time you felt like giving up? I'm guessing uh, in this room and those of you online, uh, there are multiple times in your life when you felt like giving up, when you lost heart in something, uh, just so disheartened by whether it be uh, the behavior of another or the challenge that lied before you, that you just said, you know what? I just want to be done. I'm sure there are a number of factors that contribute to the feelings of losing heart and wanting to give up. And just a few that I thought of were exhaustion. Uh, when we are tired, uh, when we are physically, mentally, emotionally drained, I think it's easier to give up. Uh, how many of us have been there? Uh, you've been on a strategic plan. Maybe it's a diet. Maybe it's an exercise regimen. And you just get exhausted and you're like, oh, well, I'm eating the donut. I'm, I'm not exercising today, right? Um, exhaustion leads to that. I know that's a simple thing, but you can apply that to different areas of your life. I think exhaustion, sometimes when the journey just seems so long and it's hard to see progress, we feel like giving up. Uh, you set out to do something and it's like, I'm never gonna get there, so why, why even try? Sometimes it's just the appeal of other things, right? You, you start off, you have a great plan, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and oh, that looks great. And so we just kind of give up on what we were doing. Maybe it's financial goals, maybe it's relational goals, may, may, maybe it's personal health goals and the list just goes on and on. When was the last time you felt like giving up. And here's an equally important question, maybe a more important question. Have you ever felt like giving up on your faith? Have you ever felt like, you know, I'm just not sure I want to continue with this following Jesus stuff? Maybe it's because you've been confronted with the depths of sacrifice that are required in following Jesus. You're like, I'm tired of paying the price. I'm tired of not being able to fill in the blank because of what God asks of me. Maybe you're tired of not being invited to participate with, with people in your friendship groups because you know that how you want to behave as a follower of Jesus is different than how they're going to be behaving and you're just tired of the tension and so you're just ready to be done. Have you ever felt like giving up on your faith? You know, and I think what typically happens is we hear that question and we think, oh, no. Like, I would never give up on my faith. But what if we linger there for a little bit? I think most followers of Jesus, maybe you're excluded, but I think most of us could find a season when we thought, you know what? I had serious thoughts about wondering if I should just keep going. I'll be honest, I've, I've had those thoughts, different seasons in my life. And again, it's because the costs seem too great sometimes. And I'm not saying I have those frequently, but, but they come. And, and when those thoughts come of, should I just keep following Jesus or should I just give in? And Because if we're just honest, sometimes the appeal and the allure and the enticement of the pleasures of this world, 
they just seem great and grand and glorious. And so it just seems like maybe I should just abandon this and go for that. And when those times come, that temptation kicks in, what is it that helps you stay the course? Well, what is it that helps you hold on and, and hold out? What is it that, that enables you to persevere when, when everything around you is causing you to lose heart and want to give up? I have told you throughout our study of Luke that I am just amazed at how God has used it again and again and again. And if you're, you're new to Lebanon Christian Church, if, if this is your first time with us, if it's your first time watching online, uh, then you may not understand. We, we, we planned this series through Luke back in August, September of 2019, not knowing that a global pandemic was going to happen, not knowing that the election would be as contentious as it was, not knowing the heartache and the heartbreak that all of us would feel in a variety of different ways throughout 2020. And yet what we have seen time and time again is that God has used right where we're at in Luke's gospel to speak incredible, encouraging, inspiring truth week after week after week. And he alone gets credit for that. It's the beauty of his word. I love what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture, every word from God uh, comes straight from his mouth. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the workman, the workwoman of God can be fully equipped for every good work that God calls him or her to. It's a powerful passage. We've seen that with Luke. Here's this gospel that, that Luke put together. It's a theological biography. It tells us the story of Jesus' life. He's inspired by God's spirit to write it. He's heard firsthand accounts from Jesus' disciples. And so he decides during a perilous time in the early life of God's people, Jesus has ascended to write to them, to encourage them. Luke chapter one, verse four says that he writes these things so that Theophilus and the early Christians can have certainty about what they've been taught. They've heard things about Jesus Life is hard, it's pressing them. Should they follow him? And he's like, I want you to have certainty about what you believe. And, and we've seen that at Lebanon Christian Church week after week after week that God's word through Luke uh, helps us keep going. And today is no different. We're in Luke chapter 17, verse 22, and we're gonna go all the way through Luke 18, verse eight. And in this section, Jesus' desire is to not only warn his followers but to encourage them not to lose heart with how hard things are going to get. And I think about us. Eight months into a pandemic um, that didn't disappear when the election happened, did it? Uh, eight months in and, and, and looking out and children are returning home for virtual learning and there's rumors of this and whispers of that. And I don't know about you, but I need a good dose of something that'll keep me from losing heart. Because the journey's hard, right? The journey's difficult. And, and, and that makes God's word today so timely. And before we jump into it, we're gonna start at 18, verse one, kind of right in the middle of the account. Um, but I wanna pray that God would speak through his word. Father, it is a tremendous privilege and trust and responsibility to help share your truth with people. And so Father, I ask that, that you would use my voice, 
in my mind to help convey in a very clear way your eternal truth. And God, may you go before your word that we're going to read and may you prepare the soil of the heart and may your word go in and may it germinate and may it produce something beautiful. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And may we learn from your incredible truth. In your name, amen. Luke 18, verse 1, is about two-thirds of the way through our section of verses today. But, but it's kind of uh, the pivotal one. Um, if you'll look, wrong thing, that's not my Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 1. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus is about to tell the disciples a story. And we learn that this is, this is rare. This may be the only time uh, where we learn about the point of the parable before the parable is taught. What often happens is that Jesus tells the parable, the parable of the soils, the parable of the weeds, and, and then he unpacks it later. And sometimes he doesn't unpack it at all, and he just gives us that expression, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, and he who has, hear, hear, he who has eyes to see, let him see, and, and that's it. Um, but here we learn before the story, the point of the story. And what I find incredible is that what likely happened is that here is Luke who's heard these stories, heard these accounts firsthand from Peter, from Paul, from the other disciples. And one of them was so impacted by the story that Jesus tells that he says, listen, Luke, you gotta write this down. He taught us this so that we would always pray and not lose heart. Look, you, you gotta write this down. Like, we were so discouraged. Like, we were so despairing after this conversation we had. And, and he told us this story, and wow, we were encouraged by it. Why would the disciples have been discouraged when Jesus goes to teach them this parable? I mean, we know the disciples have abandoned a lot, right? The disciples have left their careers. We know that John and James and Peter and Andrew left fishing careers to follow Jesus. We know that uh, Matthew was a tax collector, a lucrative job, although um, kind of an appalling job for a Jew, and Jesus called him to leave that. We know that they've been ridiculed at different turns. They've been challenged by religious leaders. They've been challenged by Rabbi Jesus, and, and, and there, there's been a lot of difficulty already, but why would they begin to lose heart now? What's different and for that, we have to rewind to verse 22 of chapter 17. Because what prompts the story that Jesus tells begins in chapter 17. Jesus, in verses 22 through 37 of Luke 17, paints a picture of what the future is going to look like, of what it's going to look like for his disciples there that day and every disciple of Jesus that will follow after him. And the picture is gloomy. The, the picture is dark. If you want to picture it this way, the disciples and Jesus have been, follow, they've been following Jesus for probably two and a half years at this point. We're, we're moving into what we might call the sunset. It's beautiful. Jesus is moving towards the cross. But what's going to follow that in the years and the decades and the generations that follow there are gonna be times when it feels like it's pitch black. And Jesus wants them to understand how difficult things will be. He kind of gives this umbrella statement in verse 22. 
He said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. A couple of things before we look into that a little bit deeper. This phrase, the days of the Son of Man that that occurs in verse 22 also occurs later in, in verse 26. There's going to be several times when Jesus talks about the day or the days of the Son of Man. What's lost on us in our English translations is that there's a difference in how those phrases are used. Here in verse 22, Jesus is talking about the current days of the Son of Man. Jesus, the Son of Man, being with them right now. But in the future verses, he'll be looking out towards when the Son of Man, Jesus, returns in his fullness. And so it's important to make that distinction as we move through. So the first words Jesus says to the disciples, uh, there's coming a day when you're going to desire, you're going to long for one of the days of the Son of Man. One of these days you're living in right now. There's coming a day, guys, when you will look upon these moments we have right now and you will wish you were living them again. You're gonna long for the times that we walk together. When we would wake up the morning and it was a new adventure. When you didn't know if I was gonna change water into wine or if I was gonna make a lame man walk or if I was gonna break cultural custom and visit with a woman by a well in Samaria. Like you're gonna long for these days. You're gonna long for the days when the Pharisees were were trying to to capture me and, and imprison me. You're gonna long for these days when you could just say my name and I was right there. You're gonna long for those days. Those are the days of the Son of Man that Jesus is talking about, the days when he's living with them right then. He says, you're gonna desire them, but what's gonna happen? You're not gonna see it. Can you imagine how ominous that must feel to these disciples who have left everything to follow Jesus? And there's coming a day when they will long to have him with them and and it won't be like it was. You and I can, can identify with these feelings of desire and longing, can't we? What happens when someone that we love, a good friend, a family member dies? Don't you find yourself at times longing for just one more conversation? Just to see them across the table one more time? Don't you long for what life was like maybe pre-pandemic sometimes? Like, like, like we can get what it's like to long for something. And here they are desiring. We just want things to be how they were when Jesus was with us. And guess what? It won't happen That means things are coming that will make them just wish for what was. And add to this the layer that that means that Jesus isn't with them and all they've known for the last three years is Jesus with them. You can kind of see Jesus painting this broad stroke of life is gonna be hard. But that's not all, verse 23. And they will say to you, look there, or or, look here. Do not go out or follow them. Well, who's saying look there or look here? Well, verse 24 brings clarity. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So Jesus looks out to the future. He says, as things get difficult, there will be people that will say, look, things are so bad, there's, there's Jesus coming back right now. Oh, things are so bad. Look, we found, we found the Messiah. Oh, wait, things are so horrible. Wait, wait, there, there he is. He's like, don't give in to the myths. Don't give in to the rumors. Don't give in to the blood moon charts. There's this obsession even in our own day with the end times. And people want to predict, well, this pandemic is a sign that Jesus is coming back like tomorrow. 
The year 2000, Y2K, remember that? Like, like everything's gonna glitch and die and, and Jesus comes back. We obsessed with the end times. Look here, look there. And Jesus says, guys, listen, don't give in to that. He would say to you as disciples of Jesus today, women and men, don't give in to that because it will be crystal clear when Jesus returns, as clear as lightning flashing in the sky. I woke up at three in the morning this morning, the dog was barking, and I tried to get back to sleep, and my room kept flashing because the storm was coming through Lebanon. Like it was clear, lightning had flashed. When Jesus returns, guess what? There's not gonna be any guessing. We'll know it. He'll be returning with trumpet sound, riding in, we'll get it. That's what it's gonna be like when the Son of Man comes. He tells his disciples, listen, things are going to get difficult. You're going to long for one of these days. And people are going to say, well, nope, he's coming. Nope, nope, he's coming. He's like, listen, it'll be clear. But before that even happens, verse 25, I have to suffer. That's hard, right? To think about a coming suffering for Jesus. And if that's not enough, look at verses 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Again, looking out to the future. In the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, he pulls from another story in Israel's past. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus is painting this picture. The stories of Noah and Lot when it comes to God's judgment are two of the most perilous pictures in all the Old Testament. Perhaps you remember what prompted God calling Noah to build an ark uh, Genesis chapter six, I believe it's verses five and six. And God saw that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. And he regretted that he even had created man. Things had drifted so far in Noah's day that mankind was only worried about themselves, only what they could get out of this world, to kind of show how callous their hearts were, it says that they were marrying, they were buying, they were selling. They were going on with life. They were living what they thought was their best life now. And, and it was so far from what God had intended for them. And he uses the story of, of Lot. Maybe you recall that from later on in Genesis, kind of the midpoint of Genesis, somewhere in chapter 17, 18, 19. Lot, um, Abraham gets word that, that, that Sodom is, is living in such a way, Gomorrah as well, another city. Their hearts have drifted so far from God, they're doing things that just uh, seem deplorable to what God intends for mankind. And, and, and Abraham pleads for Sodom. Like, if I can just find so many righteous people, would you, would you spare the city? He negotiates with God. And and the people had no idea how far gone they were. They just kept carrying on with their sinful ways and they drifted so far from the heart of God. And what's highlighted in both of these, again, with the story of Lot, people were buying and selling and building and carrying on with life. It's, just, it's this picture of hearts drifting so far from God and not even caring. And Jesus compares the days of Noah and the days of Lot 
to the days when the Son of Man will come back. What's he telling the disciples? There's coming a day. This is why you're going to desire for these days again, because there's coming a day when people's hearts will drift so far from God um, that it just thickens you. And if that's not enough of a picture, you can go to the next verses, verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Uh, Essentially, when judgment finally comes because hearts have drifted so far from God, uh, there's not time uh, to second guess. There's not time to change your mind. He goes back to that story of Lot. Maybe you recall this from Genesis. He said that uh, Sodom would be destroyed and that Lot and his family were to leave and not look back at the destruction. And as they're walking away, Lot's wife turns around. She's turned into a pillar of salt and she dies. She disobeyed God. There's there's not time for second guessing when God's judgment comes. God's judgment is decisive. And that's highlighted again in verses 34 and 35. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And if you're an astute reader of the word, you'll notice verse 36 is missing. Um, That's because some manuscripts, not all of them, talk about someone being in a field, one being taken and one being left. The the picture here is not uh, an invitation for someone to give you some lengthy talk on the rapture. The the intent of Jesus' words here have nothing to do with how the end will happen, but how decisive God's judgment is. Here's the scene, if you're following. Disciples who have already left so much to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, there's coming a day when you will wish for these days because they're gonna get so bad. How bad are they gonna get? Well, people are gonna be looking everywhere because things are bad and saying, there's Jesus. And guess what? It's not gonna happen. It'll be crystal clear. I'm gonna have to suffer before those days come to pass. Those days are gonna be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Hearts will drift so far from God's that that's gonna be sad. And you know what that does to a disciple? It leads them to think more introspectively. Well, what about me? Will I still be counted among God's people when he returns? Will I be able to stick with it? Will I be able to endure? Or or am I gonna give up? Am I gonna be the one of the ones that is marrying and burying and buying and selling? Or am I gonna be devoted to God when those days come? And can you see how all of this kind of leads to this just weight of despair And it provides this opportunity for the disciples to be disheartened. And that's what gives way to the parable. Because Jesus just said, things are gonna get really bad. People are gonna turn from God. They're gonna drift from him. You're gonna grow discouraged. You're gonna be tempted to drift. And so he taught them a story that they would always pray and not lose heart. And before we get to that story, that story is gonna be encouraging to you. You and I have to linger for a moment in this idea of where we might stand. Because the days of the Son of Man that Jesus forecasts, they've yet to arrive. And that means that we live in the same period that he was warning the disciples about where hearts would drift from God's best. And I don't know about you, but when I look out at the world, when I look out at our community, when I look at the same str- the struggles that I have in my life and probably the same struggles you have in yours, there are a number of temptations to drift from the heart of God, aren't there? There are a number of 
opportunities to, to give in to the evil inclinations of our heart. And so how can we make sure we stay the course? So here's what I want you to do. In a moment, I'm gonna read the parable from Luke 18. But before that, I, I want you to imagine, and if it helps you to close your eyes, do that. If, if, if it doesn't, then don't. I want you to imagine that you are one of those disciples. You're, you're contemplating just how hard it's going to be to stay the course and follow him. You know the temptations you face. You know the temptations that face your friends. You know your own friends who have chosen to leave following Jesus and abandon the faith. You know your deepest doubts and discouragements. And as you think of those, I, I, I want you to see Jesus looking at you. That he has you in mind as he tells this story. That he wants to tell you a story that you might always pray and not lose heart. Now hear his words. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, he turned to his disciples, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Hear all that reasoning of why he's going to give in and compare that to God. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And Jesus encouraged his disciples, he will give justice. In the big scheme of things, it will come faster than you anticipate. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The story's pretty simple. It's a judge. But what's unique about this judge would have, it would have heightened the awareness of the disciples. They, they would have been tuned in because judges were supposed to rule based upon God's word and truth. They were supposed to be people who sided with God and they would bring justice according to God's word. But here's a judge who doesn't fear God. Well, that means you don't really know how they're going to approach things. And not only do they not fear God and care about his word, but he doesn't care about people either. He doesn't fear God or respect man. That's a dangerous combination. You never know what they're going to decide. Probably the judge is always going to decide on what's his best interest. And here comes a widow. Widows, first century world, and really even to this day, often are very vulnerable. Who's there to help them? Who's there to come to their aid when... Uh, people that they love are, are gone. Remember James' words, um, half-brother of Jesus? He says that religion that God our Father finds pure and faultless is to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, he writes that in his early words of his letter, James does. It tells us that the that, that widows are important to take care of, right? So, so here is a widow who has someone picking on her, opposing her. Like, how low do you have to be to pick on a widow? And yet, what do we even see in our own day? 
Who's the primary target of scammers? Often our elderly, widows and widowers. How many of us know stories? How many of us personally have experienced a time when someone preyed upon us and they took something from us? And so this is what's happening to this woman. She has an adversary. And so her only recourse is to go to the judge that he might stand up for her as the judge was supposed to do. And he refuses her. And so she comes to him day after day after day after day, and he keeps refusing her. And then finally he relents, and he decides on her behalf, not because it's the right thing to do, but, but because he's tired of being bothered. His reputation is at stake. People are starting to see he's getting a black eye in the community. What God is saying is not that God is like this judge. No, if the unrighteous judge can respond for the wrong reasons, how much more so a righteous God can respond for all the right reasons? And that's what he says. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. He brings to mind for his disciples all the bad motivation. He says, but what about God? How much more will God, who is righteous, who is good, give to you who cry to him day and night? See, what Jesus is doing is he's speaking to a group of men who were discouraged, and probably a group of women as well. He's telling them, don't lose heart. How are they not going to lose heart? If they will keep coming to God and praying for justice and crying to him, somehow that act of faithful prayer and turning to him again and again will keep them tied to him and enable them to have the strength and the courage to take one more step in their journey as a follower of Jesus, to stay with him one more day, even when the road goes hard. And I think about us. And I think about the challenges that I face and the challenges that you face. And we wonder, can we stick with it? Can we keep following Jesus? And he tells you the story to say, just keep coming to him. Cry out to him day and night. And God does something amazing as we continue to turn to him in prayer, as we persistently seek his justice through prayer. He keeps our hearts knit with his and he enables us to take one more step, one more day. And when we're incredibly exhausted, he enables us to stick with it one more day. When the road seems long, he enables us to stick with it one more day. When the allure of temptation, the sin captivates, he enables us to refuse and to stick with it one more day. See, his encouragement to us is that we would stick with him through prayer. That there's no secret plan. The, 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 secret, the secret is this, just keep turning to him. He, 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 here's a picture that kind of came to mind for me. Um, I was thinking about the uh, television series American Ninja Warrior, that reality show that um, follows you know, these elite athletes as they take on these challenges, rock climbing and you know, hanging from these bars and balance acts. I mean, just extreme, it requires an extreme amount of training and diligence and perseverance. And, and when you watch American Ninja Warrior, these, these great athletes, what happens to them is that so often they fail. Like most of the people that start the American Ninja, Ninja Warrior course don't finish. They falter. How would the American Ninja Warrior change if each of the athletes was tethered to a rope as they completed the course? And so when their grip gave out, they didn't fall. They could just kind of shake it out, regain their stamina, and keep going. What would happen? Everyone would finish, right? Everyone would complete the course. Why? Because they're tied to something that holds them up. How is it the followers of Jesus can stay the course and not lose heart it's by staying tethered to God in prayer to keep seeking him moment after moment after moment after moment. But guess what happens so often in our 
American culture full of easy bake ovens and fast food drive throughs we don't like to be persistent. We don't like to keep coming to God in prayer. We wanna pray for something once, maybe twice, maybe three, maybe a week, but if we don't get what we want or it doesn't happen the way that we prayed for, then we're ready to move on to something else. But how do we persevere in faith is that we just keep coming to him. We keep coming to him. We keep coming to him. And he carries us through all the difficulties along the way. Here's the thought that occurred to me. What if the greatest power in prayer comes not from the answers we receive, but the heart that is perpetually drawn to God and so stays the course? What if the greatest power in prayer comes not from the answers that we get, but from what happens in our heart as we're perpetually drawn to God and we're able to stay the course? That, that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to. That's what he's calling us to. And so I look out at a room, I look into a camera, I look out to disciples who I know are tested, they feel the strain, you're discouraged. And I challenge you to keep coming to him and crying to him day and night. And then when the end comes, the Son of Man will find you faithful. Don't lose heart. I thought of three ways we can kind of finish this message and put things into practice. And uh, that would be communion and our offering and, and prayer. And here's why. Each week as we celebrate communion, we have stations throughout the room. Uh, there are these cups the bottom cup has a piece of bread in it that represents Jesus' body. There's a cup of juice that represents his blood. And we participate in the Lord's Supper because he charged his disciples in the upper room just before he would be betrayed, um, just hours before he'd be turned over for trial and killed. And he told them to do this in remembrance of him. He said, this is my body, it's given for you. This is my blood, it's poured out for you. He was speaking about the gift of life that he was going to be giving and stealing in his death in his resurrection. And each week we have the opportunity to remember all that God has done for us. And in the Lord's Supper, we have this gift of Jesus that makes all things new, that makes the wrong right by paying the penalty for, of our sin. He, he died our death so that we don't have to die eternally. And that, that, that brings hope. It reminds us that when the way does grow dark, when the days of Noah seem to return, the days of Lot seem to return, that God has prevailed, that the ultimate victory is Jesus. And so as we share in the Lord's Supper, we remember that. And so what a way to anthem hope this morning than to, to share in the Lord's Supper together. And I would say this, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, I'd encourage you to think upon what we proclaim about Jesus, that he's the son of God, sent in human form to live a perfect life, to be tempted in every way that we were, but be without sin and then to die the death that you and I deserve to give us freedom, to give us hope, to give us the power of the Spirit to live in us, to help us in a world that's gone wrong. And that can be yours. And if that spikes your curiosity, then I'd encourage you to reach out to your friends that are followers of Jesus, a neighbor, a family member, or you can even email our pastors, connect at lovingandchristian.org, and we would love to help you discover how to follow him and find the hope that he has for you.
we're going to invite you not only to celebrate communion in a few minutes, but if you want to give through our giving boxes, maybe you use the app another way, we encourage you to do that. Why would we give in response to this message? Because we want others to have the hope that we ourselves possess. That's why we fund to fuel the work of the church, that other people could have the hope that we have. And then finally, we're going to pray. And after our time of prayer, we invite you to get up and share in the Lord's Supper or give. Um, if you need help and you can't get to one of the stations, just raise your hand and someone will bring you some communion. But I want to spend a few moments praying, just putting into practice what Jesus has called us to, that we would always pray and not lose heart. So would you pray with me? Father, you know the weight that we feel. And God, you know where we have grown discouraged. God, you know where we're tempted to lose heart. God, you know the, the magnitude of the doubts that we're tempted to succumb to. You know the allure of specific sins and how they entice us. And so, God, we know that apart from you, we're vulnerable to, to straying from what you want for us. And so, God, would you please hear us in this moment as we cry to you, and would you help us stay tethered to you? God, may we continue to pray and not lose heart. God, we look to you for this, and we believe in your power to do this even as we share in the Lord's Supper together. Amen.